We're going to be continuing our series called Kingdom Marriages, and we've had a great time so far and, and uh, learned a lot of great stuff. Um, we're going to continue to do that today as we're coming out of that song, Spirit Lead Me. You guys know that's a great prayer to pray, right? Spirit Lead Me. That's a great prayer to pray. But, but it's only a genuine prayer to pray when we're looking actually in the right direction. I mean, if, if we're really looking at the Holy Spirit to lead us, that's a great prayer to pray. But if we're looking at our circumstances to lead us and we're praying, Spirit lead us, guess what? It, it's not going to happen. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be spinning our wheels. We're going to have a hard time. We're going to be mad at God. We're going to be mad at everything because we're praying a prayer that we don't really mean. And so we have to look in the right direction, and to do that, that means we simply have to be seeing what God wants us to see. And to do that, we have to see with different eyes. Now, many of you guys are familiar with the story in the Old Testament of the Israelites. They were slaves for 400 years. God calls a guy named Moses out of the wilderness to come and to set the people free. They get set free, but since they've been slaves for so long and their ancestors have been slaves and their grandparents were slaves, once they got into freedom, they didn't know how to handle freedom. How many of you guys know that you can, you can be free and not know how to handle free, right? And so they got free. They didn't know how to handle free. And so they wanted to go back and be slaves because it was more comfortable being a slave because they knew what that life was like. Now, how many of us are in that situation where God sets us free in an area? We don't know how to be free. Maybe we don't really want the responsibility that comes with freedom. And so we'd rather go back into slavery. That's what was happening. And they had to stay there for 40 years wandering around the wilderness. But there was two guys, Joshua and Caleb, who saw things differently. So 40 years pass, Moses, Moses dies off, now Joshua becomes the leader, and there's this place that God had called them to called the promised land. And this was the place that God wanted them to go all along, but they were scared to go. But how many of you guys know that your promised land is also, it's not just an open door of easiness, there's going to be some battles you have to fight or walk through to get to the promised land. And so that's the same thing that, that Joshua's facing. And it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now Jericho, which by the way, you guys remember Jericho had walls all the way around it. It was well fortified. There were giants in the land. It, at least that's from their perspective. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. And Jericho represented the starting point of entering into the promised land. That was the very starting point. And so now it's shut up inside and outside. There's walls all around because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Joshua, see. Everybody say, see. It's going to become important. It says, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. Now, some people might think Joshua's a little bit crazy because this city is not easily, you can't easily see that it's going to be easily taken. It's got walls, it's got giants, it's got all this stuff. And yet God calls Joshua and he says, I want you to see that I've given this into your hand. What did Joshua have to do? And I'm going to give you a spiritual principle right out of the gate. It's going to sound funny, but this really is a spiritual principle and it's this. You have to see something before you see something. You have to see something in the spiritual world, in your, in your faith eyes, before you can see it with the natural eyes. Because some of us are looking with our natural eyes, and yes, in the natural we see walls, not a promised land. But you have to see something through faith. You have to see something. So what did Joshua see before he saw? Well, Joshua, instead of seeing walls, Joshua saw opportunities. 
And right now, some of you guys are just looking at walls in the natural. But I'm telling you, you have to see something before you see something. That's called walking by faith. Too many of us only have eyes for problems. We don't have eyes for victories. But when you're in Christ, you get the option. Do you get to see the problems or do you get to see the victories? Joshua saw something before he saw something. And so many of us, we pray, Spirit, lead me. But we're not really being led by the Spirit because we're looking at the walls, not the possibilities. But how many of you guys know with the Holy Spirit, with God on your corner, there's a, he's an impossible God. That means that anything is possible. And so if we want to say we're walking with God, then we have to also say that all things are possible. We have to say that no wall is too big, no wall is too thick, but with God all things are possible. And so what happens is if we don't see something before we see something, we end up in the land of problems rather than the land of promise. And too many of us find ourselves in the land of problems instead of the land of promise, and we never end up moving forward. We end up right back where we started. Now, my wife and I, Becca, we went to Silver Dollar City a couple weeks ago. How many of you guys have been there with all the lights on and everything? They have like 6.5 million lights, you know? And so we went and rode all the roller coasters because all the kids are in school and we were just, uh, you know, fighting people who were like twice our age. So they were all going to the shows. We were going to the roller coasters, a lot of motorized vehicles driving around. Um, and uh, so we were going on all the roller coasters. At the end of the day, though, we decide it's dark, all the pretty lights are up, and so we want to ride the train. So we get on the train. It's cold. We're snuggling up. We're having this cool marriage moment. We're just watching all the lights, going around and seeing. Then they tell the story of Jesus and, and the birth of Jesus. They stop there. I didn't want to ruin it for some of you guys, but they do stop the train, and they tell the story of Jesus. And then we got all the way back, and we we're watching all the lights, and just a great moment. 20 minutes later, we, we got back to the station and we got out. It was, it was fun. It was, it was nice. The problem is we didn't go anywhere. We got on a train. We went for 20 minutes, but we ended up right back where we started. It was fun, but if I did that like 10 times in a row, I'd be done with it. I'd be frustrated and I'd be bored. Can anybody recognize this in your marriage? <laughs> Has anybody been there in a relationship, a friendship, a job, a business, anything like that? You get on something, it feels like you're going someplace, but you end up right back where you started. And this is where a lot of us end up if we cannot see something before we see something. Because we're, if we're just letting the default happen, we'll end up right back where we started and maybe in a worse place. Why does this happen? I believe it happens because we don't have vision. The Bible talks about vision. So let's talk about vision and let's talk about it in our relationships. Realize in your relationships, you have to see something before you see something. Some of us are just looking at problems. But what if there's a promised land in your relationship? But you will just go around the tracks and end up in the same spot if you never start to see something before you see something. That's called the eye of faith. The Bible talks about this. It's called vision. It's a famous passage of scripture in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. In other words, you got to have vision. you got to see something before you see something. That's the ESV. I like the way it says in the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Or I would say it this way. They run off the tracks. If you don't have vision, you're going to just end up in the same spot or you're going to end up running off the tracks. And so in contrast to the Silver Dollar City train that goes around in a circle, 
Back in the 1800s, many of you guys will remember this from maybe history class, but the West, the only way to get across the West was like in covered wagons, and it would take you weeks and weeks. And then somebody decided to see something before they actually saw it, and they said, what if we put a railroad track all the way across, through those mountains, all the way across. And somebody had a big vision that was just audacious. It was just crazy. So let's be inspired by that. Let's watch. In the 1850s, the fastest way to travel over land was by train. But at the time, railroad lines didn't extend all the way across the United States. Pioneers trying to reach the West had to survive a difficult journey by wagon that could take six months. To unite the country by rail, President Abraham Lincoln granted two companies the opportunity of a lifetime to build the first transcontinental railroad. The Union Pacific Railroad would start from Nebraska and the Central Pacific from California. The two lines would eventually meet in the middle. The companies were promised huge plots of land and thousands of dollars for each mile of track they laid. The race was on to make a fortune. Starting in Sacramento, California, the Central Pacific Railroad faced an enormous hurdle. Its track had to pass through the towering Sierra Nevada mountain range. The mountains posed a great challenge for engineers, but it wasn't the engineers who were laying the track. Laborers from Ireland and China did most of the hard work for low pay. They faced harsh conditions, blasting through mountains and tunneling through rocky terrain. The push was on. The meeting point for the two railroads was set in Promontory Summit, Utah. As the railroads drew closer, laborers were pushed to work faster. Even more money was now being awarded for each mile of completed track. Setting a historic record, Chinese workers laid 10 miles of track in a single day. It was their speed that propelled the Central Pacific to reach the finish line first. On May 10, 1869, the final golden spike was hammered into the track, completing the world's first transcontinental railroad. A journey across the country that had taken six months by wagon can now be made in seven days. And along the route, thousands of acres of land were open to settlers who would forever change the American West. Now, that's pretty crazy. I want you to think about that. So the reason I showed that to you is because most of the people building that had never been where they were going. But they just trusted that somebody knew the way. And they had to tunnel through mountains. They had to do all sorts of things. That's what it's like to have faith. You're not, you may not have been where you're going, but we have to trust that somebody knows the way. And we begin to see it by faith before we see it. And so what we're going to do today is you're going to notice we're going to be talking a lot about trains today, okay? So we've already had a couple trains in the message. We're going to continue that train of thought, and we're going to call this message the vision train, okay? That's going to be the title of the message. So what I want to do is I want to give you four areas 
of your marriage that you need to work on in vision. Four different areas, okay? And, and you'll see what I mean. I'm not talking about topics. I'm just talking about four areas that we need to have vision. I first heard this from Matt Keller, who was talking about this in the context of leadership. And it, you can apply this to business. You can apply this to your leadership or your whatever. But we're going to do something today. We're going to apply this to our relationships and specifically to marriages. So wherever you're at on that spectrum, you can get something out of this. And what we're going to do is I'm going to have your help. You guys got a card when you came in. So go ahead and take out that card that was sitting on your seat. There should be a pen in front of you. And what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to ask you to have some little audience participation and we're going to draw today. Okay. So get your Bob Ross on because we're going to draw. Do your best, your best uh, drawing here today. And we're going to draw four things. So on the far left of your picture, you've got to save some space because it's not very big, okay? But on the, the far left of your picture, you're going to draw, guess what you're going to draw? You guys got it. You're going to draw a train, okay? So go ahead and, get, and so go for it. Start drawing the best train you got. You can draw a train, a little train car back there or whatever. And this is going to represent the first area that we need to have vision in. So uh, hopefully you guys are... Uh, when you're done with this, you can actually recognize what you draw. I didn't draw this, by the way, or you wouldn't recognize it. You'd be like doing some psychology test or a psychological test or something like that. So um, get your train. All right. How many of you guys got it? You guys got it. You're still working on it. That's all right. Fill in the details as you're going. You know, you, you don't have to listen to the rest of the message. Just start drawing. And uh, <laughs> so get your train going. Now, this represents the train car of your life. In other words, this is the day-to-day -day operations. Maybe your kids are in this train. Maybe you're, everything in your life that's moving with you is happening in this train car. It really represents today, okay? It represents this week, really. We could just say the now, okay? And in this is where a lot of people really live. Most people, even though we think about Christmas and we think about these different things that are off, most of us are really just dealing with the day-to-day. We're dealing with the, the, the calendar of our, we're trying to schedule things, we're trying to get kids different places, we're trying to deal with the current fight that you just had with your spouse on the way into church this morning. That's what you're dealing with. I get it, okay? So we're dealing with the day-to-day. -day. So you have to spend some time in vision, you have to deal with the day-to-day. -day. You have to deal with the things that are happening right now, because there's a lot of important stuff. And in fact, uh, this things that I've learned is that we have to intentionally protect our relationships in the day-to-day -day because it's the now where we live. And if you don't intentionally protect it, then guess what? Something is going to take over your day-to-day -day operations, and you're going to find that you, even though you've got people living in the same train car, that you're not really living together. You're just roommates. You're not really covenant partners in marriage. Come on. And so this is where some people are living. So you've got to tend to this. But how many of you guys will just admit that it's easy to get jealous over certain things? And little stupid things sometimes, right? When I was a kid, my, uh, we were at some sort of festival or some sort of fall fest type thing, and they had a raffle, a drawing thing that all of us entered in. And one of the things that you could win is one of those camo Velcro wallets. Do you guys remember these wallets that were Velcro things? And this is a camo one. And so I've got four brothers. All of us are putting our names in. And then they call over the loudspeakers and they announce the winner. And now the winner is my younger brother, Jake. I was so jealous of Jake and his camo wallet. For years, I had bitterness. I was just, I was a wreck. I mean, I was just, you know, I was like, man, why did he, God, what did I do to lose your favor? I mean, I thought I had favor. I was upset. I'm telling you, I was upset about the camo wallet. 
Then sometime later, we went with my grandfather to some farm auction for some reason. They had some, ra- some raffle again. We were putting our names in. And they were raffling off a porcelain pig. I don't know why you would do this, but they did it. And so we all put our names in. We want to win, you know, anything. They call over the loudspeakers. Guess who won the porcelain pig? My brother Jake won the porcelain pig. I was so jealous about the porcelain pig. The last time I told this story here at church, somebody said, hey, Pastor Sean, you will never believe this, but I actually have a porcelain pig in my trunk. And I brought it out. This is the porcelain pig that was given to me. So now I have a porcelain pig. God is good. It's with me all the time. Hang that up somewhere. I don't know. I don't even know what that's about. Why would somebody have a porcelain pig in their car at church? I don't know. I don't even think they come to this church anymore. I don't know. So it's easy to get jealous over little things. But my point is this. There are some things that you need to be jealous about. There are some things. You say, well, jealous. I think of jealousy. Like, isn't that a sin? Well, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. That he's jealous for you. What does that mean? That means that he wants all of you. That means that that if something comes to try to intrude upon his relationship with you, he's jealous about it, and that's a good thing. There are some things in your life that you need to be jealous about in a godly way. Let let me give you an example. If you are walking out of this building and someone tries to seduce your spouse, how many of you guys know you better get a little bit jealous about that and a little bit protective about that? And there are some things in your time and some things in your schedule that you ought to be jealous about and you ought to be protecting to honor God in. And if you don't, life just happens to you, and the train car happens, but you end up just driving around a circle, never making any progress. God is a jealous God. There are some things in your life that you have to understand, you have to be jealous about, you have to be protective about. Let me just say it this way. Your spouse doesn't support your career. Just start right there. Let me say another thing. Your kids are not more important than your spouse. Your kids are going to move off someday, hopefully, and, and move off. And you're going to have a covenant relationship with your spouse that you need to protect. Yet some people are putting their kids above their spouse in this kid-centric society where we're running around everywhere. And now we've run our kids around so far, so much, that we haven't had time to tend to the day-to-day relationship in our marriage. Well, I'm glad Pastor Sean's preaching this message. You've got to be jealous about some things you, you got to tend to some things in the train car. And, and when we do this, then, then God, can, God can start to work in our life. So this is the day-to-day. This is today. Some of us need to spend some time getting some vision, looking at our calendar, looking at our priorities, looking at our relationships. What do I need to adjust? Where do, what seat do I need to put things in? And this is an important part, okay? Now, the next thing you need to do, this is going to be real practical today, but how many of you guys know sometimes we've got to get practical, right? I mean, we've got to have feet to our faith. We can't just talk faith. We've got to have feet to it. So you're going to draw another thing, okay? And uh, again, just use, just use a little bit of the page, okay? Uh, let's see. You're going to draw some train tracks with an arrow, and we're going to draw that out because you've got to lay some tracks out from the day-to-day. You can't just be in the day-to-day. We're talking about three, six months. What does your marriage look like over the next three to six months? What is it? I mean, 
We can't just let life happen to us. We've got to be strategic about it. This is, this is like called having faith for the next season, faith for tomorrow, we could say. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Then Joshua said to the people, watch this, it says, Consecrate yourselves. He tells them to do something today. Why? Because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders for you. He's saying this. If you want to have faith for tomorrow, you got to do something today. So some of us want to have a good tomorrow or a good next month or a good season. That means you've got to do something right now. You've got to start laying some tracks forward. Laying some tracks forward. We see this right when they were getting ready to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 11, Behold, the ark of the covenant that represented the power and the presence of God is passing over before you into the Jordan. God gives them instructions on how to do this. It says, Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So the people set out with all their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. It makes a little note here that the Jordan overflows. It was at flood stage, okay? So they couldn't just cross over. It was at flood stage. It was, again, another barrier. It says the waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap from very far away. What's he saying? He's saying, even though you're looking at rushing water, even though life is rushing by, and even though it looks like there's some things, it, it, here's a second principle, the spiritual principle you've got to get. You have to step out before the change happens. You have to see something before you see something, but then you have to take a step, not after you see change, before you see change. You have to take a step when the water's rushing. And you take a step on the word of God and you put your feet in and then the change happens. But too many of us say, no, 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 no. Change has to happen. Then I'll take a step. That's not walking by faith. So this is what this means. This means over the next couple months, what am I going to do? What what kind of tracks am I going to lay to take a step before I see change happen in my marriage? Before I see the, the things happen, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? To take a step. Now, the, the next thing that needs to happen, let's see if I got the right one here. There we go. Now you're going to draw a city, okay? So do the best job you can drawing a city on the far left, okay? The far, far right, sorry, far right side of your page, the far right. You're going to draw a beautiful city. You can make up the city however you want. You can put a little, little tree over there. Every tree needs a friend. Every some of you guys are getting that right now. Just a happy little accident over there. So you can draw whatever you want over there and draw a beautiful city. And this is going to be the third area of vision we need to have for our marriage. Because we've got the day-to-day going on. That just happens. Some of us are going to start building out that next three months, six months, the land tracks forward. But what we really need to do is we need to have a city. Maybe it's far off, but we start dreaming up what the city of our marriage is going to look like. We start to dream up when things are cooking, when things are really going well. What does that look like? What does our relationship look like? 
in the future. If everything, if we had everything we wanted to have, if, if, if God was moving in our relationship on, on all cylinders, what would that look like? And you've got to start dreaming of the future city. Now, Pastor Aaron talked last week about prayer, and he talked about how you can have your prayer life and your spouse can have their prayer life, but your marriage has a prayer life. You know, the same thing applies in vision. You can have your vision for life and your spouse can have their vision for life, but you know what? Your marriage needs to have a vision. Your marriage needs to have a vision. So you start to get together and you start to dream of what that might look like. And so when Becca and I were in Branson, this is exactly what we started to do. We started to have these conversations. Well, what do we want our marriage to look like two years from now? What does that city look like for us? And she said some things and I said some things and we started to, to get some ideas as to what we wanted that to look like. And let, let me tell you this. You may have to take some time out to do this. This, this city dreaming doesn't happen in the day-to-day. You may have to take a weekend with no kids, and your purpose is to dream of this. It's not just to go do what it's. You're going to have some specific set-aside time where you're going to dream together. You're going to get the Bible. You're going to open that up. You're going to know the Word of God. You're going to start building this city of what your marriage should look like. See, here's the thing. This is called vision. You know what vision is? I love vision. Because vision is like a time machine where you get to, by faith, go into your future and try on your future. Have you guys ever done that before? I mean, you get to actually, by faith, you get to travel to the future through the eye of faith and start trying on different futures. That's what vision is. You try one on, you're like, I don't think that one really fits us. Well, okay, let's try a different future on. Let's try a different future. And you start to build this city. It's like a time machine that allows you to go try on your different futures. And that's the way God designed it. But here's what I want to caution you on. Vision is not the ability to dream up anything and everything. Vision is more specifically the ability to narrow your focus to a few things. Because a lot of vision is more is as much saying no to things as it is to saying yes to things. And so you narrow your focus to say, well, how will we spend our time? How will our relationship look? What will these things look like? What will it include? What does it not include? And you spend some time getting some vision. You're talking about two years, five years, ten years. What do you want to look like, you know, years from now when when the kids are out of the house, because listen, if you, if you got young kids in the house right now and you just think that you're going to get to the place when they get out of the house that you're still going to be following Jesus together side by side and it's just going to automatically happen, then you are crazy because that's not how it happens. You have to be intentional about building this city together as the transitions in seasons happen. And that's what we've begun to do in our lives as well. So you begin to build this city. Now, what you're going to do, finally... In this last piece to, to connect this together is you're going to draw some tracks back from the future city to connect to these tracks, okay? So just because you dream up a future city, you got to start reverse engineering your marriage and start saying, if that's what we want to see happen, then what kind of tracks do we have to lay backwards? What kind of steps do we have to work backwards from that city? What kind of changes do we need to make? What kind of things do we need to put into our life that are going to make, that are going to lay tracks back towards this life? And that's how you begin to build vision. Now, years ago, probably about 10 years ago, I can estimate, we'd, we'd been pastoring this church for a couple years. We just started it, and it was very small. We were just going... And we wanted to implement 
a new premarital uh, class training for people who would get married here at the church. And so we went to these, these professionals who are teaching these premarital classes, and they had a whole system and, and a whole, you know, these tests that you have to take online, and one person has to take it by themselves. The other person, you can't converse, and then the computer tally, you know, calculates your answers. And, and so it's, like, really in-depth. And so we went to go, and, and Beck and I went, and then Pastor Aaron and Sarah went, and we, we began to, they said this. They said, we're going to have to put you through what you're going to put the premarital couples through. We were already married. We were pastoring this church. I'm like, okay, whatever. And so they put us through the whole process as if we were getting married. You know, we'd been married for years and years at that time and pastoring the church. And so, so they t- we take a test. I take a test online. She takes a test online. The computer tally, you know, tallies up all the answers. Recently, I was just going back through those and, and through the results. And I started thumbing through. And it got to, and had different areas. And basically what, what happens is, it takes your answers and their answers, and it gives you a percentage of what chance of success you're going to have in that area. That's basically the way I read it. And so I got to the area of conflict resolution, and I'm looking at that just recently, like a couple weeks ago, because I was thinking about marriage. And I was like, I wonder what that was like. So I got, I got back to that, and I looked at it, and it said that we had a 0% chance of resolving conflict. That's what I was... We were pastoring this church at the time, people. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And so, they, I mean, if we, were do, if we were going through the premarital counseling now, they probably wouldn't even let us get married in the church I was pastoring. Zero percent. Like, I didn't think it was that bad, but evidently, the computer thought it was bad. So we were at zero percent. And so what do we do? We started a dream of the future. Like, well, we don't want that, you know. Somehow we'd made it. Somehow we'd, we'd, we'd made it that far. We began to dream. So we began to take certain classes about communication and how to resolve conflict and how to deal with these things. And so we began to lay tracks back and say, well, we want something better for our future. And, and it, became, it was obviously it was an area we struggled in. And we, we still struggle in, but we, we, we began to lay tracks back. We said, we, we, we want to see something different in that area. Do you realize you're not a prisoner to the way that things are? You're not a prisoner to the way things are. You can start to dream up. You can start to lay some tracks backwards. But here's, here's the thing. If, if we don't do this, if we don't start walking through a process like this, what happens is one day you will wake up and two different people will have two different tracks laying in two different directions. And you'll say, how did we get here? It's because somewhere along the way you were each laying tracks on your own. Or maybe somebody has an idea of what the future city is like, and the other person has a different idea of what the future city is like. And so when these tracks come back together, what, what looked like it, it was just a little bit of time passed, but over time they start to drift, and over time they start to drift, and then pretty soon you have two visions. Do you know that Satan is, what he loves to do in a church, what he loves to do in a relationship, what he loves to do in a marriage, what he loves to do in anything? He loves division. And you know what division is? It literally means die or two visions. All Satan has to do in your marriage is to get two visions happening. And if he gets two visions happening, that's all he needs to do. Because it may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week. But you let a couple years go by with two visions, and guess what? You're going to end up in two different places. 
And then you're going to say, well, it just doesn't work anymore for us. Well, that's a lie from the enemy, and he planted it a while back. You get with God, and you say, well, God, what's the vision for the city? What's the vision for the city? I want to have the vision for the city. I want to have your vision. And so what happens is you may find that at different seasons of your life, you may need to spend time in different areas. And for different people in here, you may have a different area you need to focus on. So right now, I want you to think about what area do you need to focus on? Do you need to focus on the day-to-day? Do you need to make some adjustments there? Do you need to start laying some tracks? Maybe you need to start building the city. You've never done that before. You never even asked God what should it look like a couple years from now. Maybe you, need to, maybe you know, but you never actually took some practical steps to make things come back this way. And, and some of us, we can't see those walls of Jericho falling in our life because we're simply just staring at the wall. We never saw the city. And the wall looks so big because we're so close to it because we never stood back and said, God, what does the city look like? Remember, God, God told Joshua, he said, I want you to see that Jericho's in your hand. Guess what Joshua saw? He didn't see a walled city. He saw a city with walls falling down. That's what he saw. He saw the city. But some of us can't because we're still staring right at the wall. We've got to step back and say, God, well, what do you see? Because I want to see what you see. And some of us don't even realize that we, the walls that we're staring at, we put them up ourselves. We're blaming them on everything else. We're blaming on our spouse. We're blaming on circumstance. We're blaming on the situation. We're blaming on our upbringing. But in fact, we've put walls up ourselves because I don't care. Here's what I know. No matter what happens to you, you can control what happens in you. I believe that with all my heart because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Don't give me none of this. Well, I can, you know, you don't understand my situation. No, I know God. I know he's a big God. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I heard Stephen Furtick uh, teach on this one time. So let's watch this. It's awesome. And so what actually was part of building the foundation of the relationship, now it's a fence. And it happens a million different ways. And the enemy gives you all kinds of opportunities. And you don't realize what's happening because... It's just one little conversation after another, you know? It's just dressing on Thanksgiving. Yeah, a big thing. It's just me trying to tell Holly how to drive and her saying, well, then why don't you drive if you're such a good driver? (laughs) And we have a lot of dysfunction in our relationship over what happens in the car because I can't find my way places and she can't drive. (laughs) So she has a great sense of direction but horrible driving skills. I'm a great driver with no sense of direction. So the other night, we're driving, coming from a movie, as a matter of fact, not the uh, Christian football movie, but we're coming back, and she almost got us killed. And I was mad because, to me, she wasn't paying attention. And we talked about that later, and she was like, well, you know, if you want to be in control of how the car works, there's a different seat you can sit in. Uh, that's the biggest problem you have? No, it's not the biggest problem we have. It's just the one I'm going to tell you about. It's none of your business. <laughs> but see, offense by offense, 
if we don't learn what to do about this, the enemy would love just one conversation after another. You don't make a decision to walk away from a relationship that you love. You don't, you don't see them becoming your enemy in Matthew 5, 25. It's just one unacknowledged effort after another, and you start thinking, well, I'm the only one who ever takes out the trash around here. I guess I'll do it, do it again, like always. No, it's good. I got it. I got it. It's not a problem. I would love to get up with the kid again in the middle of the night. No, it's fine. I know. You got to work. And now, what started is just a small offense. Now, what God joined together is separated because of offense. And now the crazy thing is, Jesus said, if you let it get to this point, if you live your relational life on the basis of, well, I'm not apologizing first, I apologized first last time. If you don't learn how to deal with these things, you find yourself in prison. It's not them that you imprison. It's you. Hey, 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 Dan. Why don't we talk anymore? Where did the love go? Dan, we haven't been to P.F. Chang's in three years, Dan. You built offense. The enemy's agenda is destruction. His strategy is division, and his tactic is offense. Thankfully, God has given us another way to deal with offense. If only we could find an example of somebody who had every right to be offended of somebody who had every right to hold it against us, of somebody who had every right to stand at a distance, but opened his arms and said, this is the way of relationship. And the Lord gave me a real specific word for somebody who needs reconciliation in your relationship. It's very simple what they have to do. If they're going to stay like they started, if we're going to get back to where we were, we're going to have to learn. Watch this. This is very, this is very profound. It's deep. You're going to miss it. This is what you're going to have to learn. You got to learn to drop it. You got to learn to drop it. And I don't mean suppress it. I don't mean you don't deal with things after they happen. But after you've had the conversation, Dan, I like pancakes on my birthday, then drop it. Touch somebody, say drop it. I mean the moment the offense, because you can't always control what's handed to you, but you can control what you do with it. So what are you going to do with the offense? Come on, Dan. You can't, you can't choose anybody else's actions. 
The enemy wants you to drive it down deep. You know, he wants you to ah, think about it and miss all the reasons that the person has, has worked their way into your life and miss all the things they've done for you. And he wants to drive it. But God says, drop it. I, I believe that there are some things that we need to drop tonight. In fact, Jesus said, this is so important that if you are in church at the altar offering a gift and a sacrifice, but the primary relationships in your life are dysfunctional and need reconciliation, you can't even properly connect with God unless you drop it. Do it again, Dan. Drop it. Every time they do it, I want you to reinforce it. One, two, three. Drop them. What are you going to do when they, when they don't acknowledge you, when they don't notice you? What are you going to do? What are you going to do when they, when they are too busy to show you the love and affection, but you know that they're trying as hard as they can to? You got to. I'm telling you, being married, being in a close relationship is about not how quickly you can get offended. But how quickly you can get over it. Amen. Amen. Now that, that may be that may sound simplistic, but I can tell you it's Bible. But you can't do that if all you're doing is sitting in the streetcar, dealing with the day to day. The only way you can do that is when you see the city. You would say, I may not be experiencing that today, but I know there's a city that's possible because I serve a God of the possible. When you see the walls falling down in your spiritual eyes before you see them with your natural eyes, because I'm telling you, that's where you're going to see it first if you're ever going to see it. You're going to have to see it before you see it. Joshua's walls came down and so can yours. But the thing is, you have to choose it. You have to choose it. See, we're in this percep- we have this perception that we're all kind of moving into the future automatically. The thing is, you may be moving into tomorrow, but that doesn't mean you're moving into God's future for you. You have to choose God's future. Because if you don't choose God's future, it'll just be another time around the tracks at Silver Dollar City. And you'll get off again and say, well, we went around, we had, time went by, but we ended up nowhere. I want to have the worship team come back up, and as they do, I want to read a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. It says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life. Choose life that you and your offspring may live. If you're not choosing God's future, you'll end up in the wrong one. If you're not choosing the future, you'll end up somewhere. You'll just end up in the wrong one. The Israelites were more comfortable with the security of slavery and the familiarity of how things worked. And they were scared of the responsibility that comes with freedom. And so they, ra- they would rather choose the security and comfort of what it's like to be enslaved with the familiar than it was to go and to step into the new. And this is where some of us live. You ever meet somebody who's always drawn to the same guy or the same type of girl? Single people? Why? I'm comfortable in slavery. 
You ever meet somebody who's, they got the same issue over and over again? Because if you never deal with it, you'll never get to the city. You just keep riding around the train. Look at us, we're going around. But God has, here's what I want you to get. God has a better place. The security of slavery is nothing compared to the uncertainty of freedom because there is uncertainty in freedom. But it's God's place. It's God's best. And some of us can't dream about that city because we'd rather stay in dysfunction rather than, than to walk into something that's uncertain. And I'm not talking about just being destination-oriented. Well, if I could just get to this place, then I'll settle and it'll all be good. No, I, I preached a few months ago about the journey is the destination. See, here's what vision does. Vision for the city doesn't get us to a place where we stop. Vision of a city keeps us moving forward. That's what it does. It keeps the journey moving forward towards God's best rather than going around in circles. And so I, I want, I want, I'm just pleading with, with us today, if we could just get a vision of our marriage, if we could see something before we see something, if we could step out before the change happens, if we don't do that, we may end up in the wrong future. Here's what I, I can tell you. You better get a vision for your marriage because I can tell you that Satan has a vision for your marriage. But here's the good news, and here's where hope is found. God also has a vision of your marriage. And when we see God's vision for our marriage, and we hook onto that, some of you guys are like, well, what if, I, what if my spouse doesn't get that vision? What if I'm dreaming of it and they're not dreaming too? Well, then you practice dreaming of that city, and you believe that one day you'll be dreaming together. You start practicing right now. You start getting your faith eyes on right now and you start practicing because you're preparing for the day that God's gonna put it all together. It says choose life. How many of you guys are thankful that Jesus chose death so that we could have life? But here's the thing. Jesus didn't just choose death. Jesus resurrected from the dead to prove to us that even if we're looking at something dead, that life can still happen. Amen. He took on our sin. He said, it is finished. And he said, look what can happen when you step into my ways. So would you stand up with me today? And again, if you're with your spouse here today, I didn't do this last night, but feel compelled to do this this morning. Would you just grab the hand of your spouse and we're just gonna pray over our marriages again right now. God, we want your way above our way. We want to see the city that you see. God, we thank you that you chose death, took on our sin, took our place, all of it. All of it that happened before we were saved and all of it that happened after. You knew, you're not surprised by anything. You saw everything coming and you died in our place. You took our place. You took our sin. You took our spouse's sin. You nailed that on the cross. You rose from the dead. Lord, we're so thankful that today we get to choose life in you. And when we're in you, when we're in Christ, life happens. And life can happen in every area. In every area. And so we speak life happening in our marriages right now. We speak specifically over our marriages. And those who aren't married, the, the future marriages... Those who aren't married, we, we speak life over their relationships with their kids and their friends and their parents. 
Right now, just begin to speak life. Just begin to thank God. Just begin to say, God, I want to dream of that city that you have for us. God, I, dream, I want to dream of that place uh, that's the promised land, not the problem land. Lord, I pray that you'd give people strength right now that not to suppress things, not to bury things, but when we've dealt with things and when we've forgiven, to, to lay that at the altar, to drop it at the altar so that we can properly worship you and walk in, in, in complete relationship with you, letting nothing become a barrier on our side of things. God, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship Jesus one more time.